Well, hey, what's up, church? Pastor Nick here. I am so excited to be with you today here at Propel Church. And if you're a first-time guest with us, we want to say thank you. I don't know why you clicked on this video, but here's what I do know. God has something special in store for you today. So church, if you see somebody who's hopped in a watch party, maybe they're in your house party for the first time and they're new, won't you welcome them? Give them that Propel Church welcome. Let them know we're glad that they're here the only thing that we ask you do at some point today is take a second and fill out one of those online connect cards. It's our way of connecting with you to know that you are here today. We'd love to send you a thank you note for that. Man, we are in week two of a series called Pace Problems. Here's what I know. Some of y'all are runners, and you know that if you're running a race but don't assess your pace, there's a good chance that you never finish. We read a pastor scripture last week where Paul talked about how we need to throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles us. And when we do that, when we throw off weight and we deal with sin, man, we can run our race with endurance. And it's a race that God has marked out for us. I wonder how often people never finish the race God marked out for them because there's some things in their pace that disqualified them along the journey. So last week we talked about the pace of rage. We live in a world that just gets so angry and outraged about everything all the time. And outrage culture is not kingdom culture. God has called you to get rid of all rage, bitterness, and anger, and to be kind and compassionate to other people. This week what I want to talk to you about is the pace of regret. A few weeks ago, I took Tori out. We do date night every Thursday, and we went to the smoke pit. We were going to have some great barbecue, and we got to the restaurant, and I ordered my favorite. It's the stock market sandwich. On a bun, there is pulled pork, brisket, and and smoked sausage. Come on, like with some barbecue sauce. That's as close to heaven as some of us may ever experience, right? But the good news is, if you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. But man, I'm eating that barbecue sandwich, and I normally I do this in two sessions because it's a huge sandwich, and in addition to that, there's some macaroni and cheese, some good mac and cheese. But this time, I was feeling a little advantageous, so I sat down, I ate every bit of my food, and instantly, I began to feel regret. My stomach was hurting. I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to move or breathe again. It just instant regret. Some of us have had instant regret in other areas of our life. Maybe you did. You went back to the gym after this COVID season and you tried to pick up your normal workout routine and you woke up the next morning with regret. Maybe you swung by Krispy Kreme and you were going to pick up a dozen donuts, but you were only going to eat one. And, and then 12 donuts later, you had some regret. I don't know what your regret is, but not all regret is, is funny in nature. But some of us, our biggest hurdles in life have come from the mistakes we've made, and we regret those things. We regret the fact that, man, we, we should have ended a relationship a long time before we actually did. Others of us were free from drug addiction, and we fell back into those old habits, and now we're filled with regret. Maybe you made a financial decision in a moment that you thought was right, but years later it didn't pan out and you're filled with 
regret. Maybe you're stuck watching pornography after you've tried to overcome this over and over, stuck in regret. Maybe you've answered some direct messages from someone who's not your spouse and are beginning to develop emotional feelings for another person, and you have regret. Maybe it's not forgiving that loved one that's no longer with us. I don't know what you regret in your life, but I do know all of us have regrets. And in addition to that, regret is something that's going to weigh you and I down and keep us from running our race with perseverance. Because what running a race with regret does is it forces you to keep looking back And whenever I'm looking back on what's behind me, there's no way I can be focused on where God is taking me in the future. Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be available on the screen beside me. It says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow leads to spiritual death. I would say for many of us, the way we feel in our walk with Christ today is not that we're filled with with godly sorrow, but that we've got something that's going on that's killing our spiritual life. We don't feel spiritually alive anymore. We feel spiritually dead. And what this passage of Scripture tells us is that worldly sorrow, regret, that's what's going to keep you and I stuck. That's what's going to give you and I this experience of spiritual death. Look at what, um, if you're taking notes, write this down. Regret robs us of connection with God. Regret robs us of connection with God. The reason why we want to talk about regret, we want to talk about guilt and shame today, is because primarily regret robs us of connection. God designed you and I to be connected with him. God wants a relationship with us. We've talked about that numerous times, that God wants a relationship with you and he wants a relationship with me. But what regret does is regret actually forces you and I to believe that based on the circumstances and situation of our past, God has changed his mind about us. And he hasn't. If you go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you'll see that God's design for you and for me was to be in perfection with Him, was to live with Him, to do life with Him, to be among Him. Scripture says that Adam and Eve walked among the garden with God. That's beautiful. Can you imagine? I mean, we get to experience that not in physical form, but in a spiritual form. Jesus is always with us, that close proximity. But that's what God designed for us from the very beginning. The only thing he said to Adam and Eve to not do was to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 2, they received that word. Genesis chapter 3 rolls around and a serpent slithers his way into the garden. And he says, hey, Eve, there's some good looking fruit. Are you sure God didn't say? Maybe here's what God's doing. God's telling you not to eat from this tree because he knows that you'll become like him. And immediately, Eve begins to feel like God's withholding something from her. So she takes the fruit and she eats it. 
She then looks to Adam and passes the fruit to him and he eats it as well. And look at what scripture says happens next. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. So they eat the fruit and it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened. So at the moment they ate the fruit, at the moment they sinned, there was a revelation that took place. Their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they had been naked the whole time. But now because of sin, what was once okay is now filled with guilt and shame. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. The first thing that happens, what regret pushes us to do in our relationship with God is to cover things up. It's to, to take what we've done, to take our nakedness and to literally sew fig leaves together. Adam and Eve are trying to cover up the fact that they had made a mistake. And how often do we do that too? We, we may try and cover it up with our actions or we may try and cover it up with our words to give justification for why we did the things that we did. Regardless, high, covering up does not cultivate connection with God. It just pushes us further and further away from him. Then in verse 10, God comes back into the garden and he asks Adam, where are you? Because there was now a separation between God and man. And look at what Adam says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, now, now imagine this for a moment. God and Adam have been walking hand in hand together. They've been in relationship together. But what happens when you and I sin and we understand that we have sinned, if we're stuck in regret, it's going to cause us to hide from God. The same God that we were once walking hand in hand with is now going to be the God that we're afraid of. Because of our own sinfulness, it convinces us that we've done so many things wrong that there's no way God would ever want to do life with us again. So we hide from him. And a relationship can't be built when we cover things up or when we hide. And look at what happens in the third verse. Third verse, God, or the third passage in this, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 12, or Genesis 3, verse 12. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, you're going to learn a lot about Abraham, not the topic of today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Adam's talking to God. God said, who told you you were naked? And Adam says, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me. You gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. In other words, God blames, or Adam blames God and Eve for his decision to take from the fruit. Your relationship with God will never grow stronger when you are covering things up, when you're hiding or you're blaming. Whether you're blaming God or other people, what regret, guilt, and shame does for us is it robs us of connection with God. But there's a different way for you and I to live. Let's go back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 passage of Scripture. It says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's what I want you to live with today. I want you to live with no regret. Not because you've embraced worldly sorrow, 
Because what the enemy is going to try and convince you that, that you are is the enemy will define you by your sin, but God defines you by his son. So I want to talk to you about godly sorrow for the rest of our time together. I want to talk with you about how we overcome the feelings of regret and what decisions we need to make in those moments where we're experiencing regret so that we can experience life because godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, which leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to spiritual death. So my responsibility today to you is to help you walk out of death and into life. And the key to that is this word called repentance. What is greater than regret is this word repentance. So what does repentance mean? Well, the first thing is this. It means return to God. So the word repent means to do, means a, a change in direction, mind, body, spirit, emotions. I mean, you can you can do a 180. I, I've, I used to, uh, I mean, I guess I still do, but used to do some marketing and branding consulting. And there was a guy that was like, I, we want to be 360 ministries because when we repent, we do a full 360. And it was like, that's not how directions work. <laughs> like, no, 180 is the goal. The goal is not to end up in the same place you were, but to go a different direction. When I repent, I'm changing my course. But I think repentance is more than just turning from sin. Repentance is returning to God. Repentance is turning away from my sin, but turning back to the person of Jesus where I know I receive grace, healing, and forgiveness. That's the beauty of the story in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. There's a father who his son doesn't deserve it, but he gives him his share of the inheritance early. And as the son takes that inheritance, he squanders it. He lives lavishly. He throws some crazy parties, but a famine sweeps through the land. And at some point he, he runs out of money and he has to go get a job and he's working at this job. He's feeding pigs every day. And as he's feeding these pigs one day, he looks in the pig's trough. And as he's looking at this slop of food, he realizes that that looks delicious. But he not only envies the food that the pigs eat, which is gross and disgusting, he remembers how good dad's house really was. He remembers that back at dad's house, he didn't have to worry about where his next meal was going to come from. So, so he plans this event. He plans to come back to dad's house and tell dad that he's coming home, but, but he's, he's messed up. He's made a whole lot of mistakes. And if God will forgive him, if his dad will forgive him, then he'll just come back as a servant. But as the son approaches, the father was waiting on the front porch. And he runs to him with his arms wide open. He hugs him and he embraces him. And rather than restoring him as a servant in his household, he gets to step back into the place that he always had as a son. Because just because you've messed up and made a mistake doesn't mean that you can't be a part of God's family anymore. Just because you've 
done some things wrong in your past does not hinder God's ability to love you. So the first thing you need to do today is return to God. If you've got regrets from addiction, return to God. If you've made mistakes in your marriage and are filled with regret, return to God. If your good deeds couldn't earn God's love, your bad deeds won't disqualify you from God's love. So return to God. First John chapter one, verse nine. I love this verse. Look at what it says. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so what does it look like for you to return to God? It, it looks like this. God, I've messed up. Here's what I've done. Today, I want to turn from that. I don't want to keep carrying guilt and shame because I know Jesus died for it. So Lord, I'm asking you to take it. I'm returning back to you. Returning to God is so incredibly powerful, but it's not the only step that you and I need to take. The second thing that we need to do is we need to confess it to somebody. And and, and here's what, here's where a lot of us get hung up. Most of us, I think, don't finish our race with endurance or with perseverance. We don't finish the race God marked out for us because we're too prideful to admit we don't have it all together. We're too prideful to own our own cesspool of crud that we have going on in our own life. And we'd rather just keep it secret so that people believe we're better off than we really are. And as long as you keep your sin a secret, you will be stuck in your sin. One, one person says, you're only as sick as your secrets. You need to confess it to somebody. You need to get it out in the open. Whatever's in darkness needs to be brought into light because the enemy will only have the ability to hold over you what you haven't exposed to God and to his people. And I'm not saying you got to show up to church on a Sunday morning and stand on stage and go, here's my laundry list of things that I've done. But this is why groups are so important. We kicked off a group semester, and I know there's like there's like a hundred of you that are plugged into a group, and that's great. But let me just say this. Some of you who are watching this right now, you've been stuck in the same sin cycle over and over and over again, and you wonder why you're never getting out of it. It's because you're still in the dark with God's people. You need to get your issues out into the open. You need to expose the tactics of the enemy that keep you in bondage and in sin. And as you begin to confess, Scripture says you're going to find healing from it. Look at what uh, James 5.16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Like, that seems awkward. Yeah, it kind of is. In fact, it's kind of really awkward sometimes. But I'd rather embrace awkwardness in a moment if it means I get freedom for a lifetime. So, so how free do you want to be? Don't stay stuck in your sin when, when there's healing and freedom just by confessing it to other people. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I, 
Stop buying into this idea that time's going to heal all wounds. You know what time does? Time leads to infections. If you have a wound that you're not treating and dealing with accordingly, you're going to get infected, not healed. Then you're going to have to cut your arm off. And we don't want you to lose your arm. So deal with your issue. Confess it to other people so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when you begin to confess things, when you begin to get your stuff out into the open and the enemy no longer has something over you, there is power when God's people come together and begin to pray over you and pray for you for whatever situation you're going through. I remember years ago in my life not having those kind of people. And I don't know how I would live without them today. Most people don't know the benefits of biblical community until they've experienced it for a little while and would unapologetically tell you it's an incredible decision to allow God's people into your life, to speak into you, to pray for you, and to help you on the journey. So the first step, we're going to get rid of regret. We're going to return to God. The second thing, we're going to confess it to somebody because we're not going to allow the enemy to have a foothold in our life. And the third thing is to continue moving forward in God's plan for you. Continue moving forward in God's plan. I think sometimes when we experience hardships and we we fail, we make mistakes, we feel like, our life is over. I remember those feelings. I remember the day that I got kicked out of Mount Pleasant High School for drug possession. I remember the laundry list of drug charges. I remember thinking to myself and hearing other people say, no one's ever going to hire you or do any of that. And I remember just these feelings of regret and guilt and shame. And all of that shifted on August 1st, of 2011 when I gave my life to Jesus and I realized that God is not just in the business of second chances. God is in the business of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances. And every time I feel like I've got to the end of my rope with what God will give me in the area of grace, I realize that God's grace gets bigger, that God's grace rope gets longer that I can't run out of God's grace because his love for me is endless. Now, that doesn't give me an excuse to go and sin and do whatever I want, but for some of you who are watching this today, there have been things that have happened in your past. There have been broken marriages. There have been torn relationships. There's been drug addiction. There's been pornography addiction. There's been lying, slander, gossip, cheating, a laundry list of things, and you feel like because of those past mistakes, God can't use you anymore. Well, the good news is God is has been in the business from the very beginning of using jacked up and broken people to accomplish his mission on the earth. You can take hope in the fact that Peter fails all the time in scripture and never once does Jesus bench him as a disciple. We don't get that in the book of Mark. We don't find Peter, Jesus and Peter having a conversation and Jesus goes, Peter, you know, you've made some mistakes a lot. I'm gonna have to bench you for three seasons. He doesn't do that. Jesus restores him. 
invites him back into the family over and over and over and over again. Because no matter how many times you mess up, God's plan for your life is still good. It's still prosperous. It's still for your benefit. And he wants to partner with you in advancing his mission around the world. But will you stop letting your past keep you planted? Because there's a reason that your rearview mirror is smaller than your windshield. You were never designed to look at your past, but instead you and I were made to look forward to what God has for us in the days ahead. So Paul writes it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made my own. I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So pause right there. Forget what lies behind. I'm not going to allow the enemy to keep me regretful of a past that Jesus already forgave. I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to strain forward ahead. Whenever you, whenever you have weight that's on you and you remove it, you get to run a little bit lighter. When Paul says he's straining, when you take a step after you've removed weight, you still step with the same force of the past weight that you used to carry, but your stride's a little bit bigger. I think what God wants to do in this season for us is for us to rip off regret, rip off guilt and shame so that we can run further, run faster, and run longer. So he says, I forget what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What, what he's saying is, I, I'm not going to focus on anything other than the stuff that matters in my relationship with God. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So if you've wondered how mature followers of Jesus process regret and guilt and shame and all that, they forget what lies behind, and they press forward to what's ahead. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What we need to do today in this season is return to God. So no matter who you are or the things that have happened in your life, if you've got some regret today, there's really good news. God is waiting on his front porch to embrace you with open arms if you'd simply turn back to him. We need to confess it to somebody because we're only as sick as our secrets and the enemy's tactics that are in the dark need to be exposed into the light. And the third, we're going to continue moving forward. And that's what perseverance is all about. That's what endurance is all about. It's this continuing. I'm not telling you through this message that you're never going to experience hurdles again, that you're never going to experience regret again. I'm not even telling you that you're never going to make a mistake. In fact, I would probably venture to tell you, you are going to make a lot of mistakes. But when those happen, return to God, confess it to somebody, continue moving forward. Return to God, confess it to somebody. Continue moving forward. And as you do that, I believe that the weights will come off. The sin that so easily entangles you will be dealt with. And you 
will run the race that God has marked out for you with perseverance. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the ability to run our race with endurance. Right now, Lord, we pray for those who are running with regret. God, we pray that they would drop that regret today, that they would experience peace that surpasses all understanding from you, that they would drop the weight and be able to experience all that you have for them. And we thank you, Lord, that you've designed us to run with such great endurance. So for those who are watching this right now and you're filled with regret, I just want you to say this, Lord, today I drop the regret and I return to you. Thank you for giving me the strength to continue running for all of my days. For some of you, it's not an issue of whether or not you're running the race. The issue is that Jesus Christ is not the ruler of your life. And so let me ask you a question. What are you running your race for? Because the prize that Paul talks about, the reason why he has this incredible race to run with his life is because there is purpose and meaning to his life. And it's not found in just fulfilling your own desires, but it's found in fulfilling the way God designed and created you from the very beginning. Paul says the only way you find that is in Jesus. Jesus even said that the only way you find that is in him. So today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's simple. We can help you be in one. All you need to do is say a prayer that places your hope and trust in him. And the way you do that, just repeating this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.